We continue our series on Made for Mondays and this idea of your job, you're assigned and, and put in specifically into a place in, in your work or your job, your vocation or school or wherever. And, and as we finish this up, I want to just in a moment take a time out and talk about that at some point we have to rest. That there's this day, even today is a day of rest. It's a Sabbath day. And so what does it mean? What does it look like? What do we, as followers of Jesus, what does it mean for us to rest? So about the 1200s, the clock came about. And when the first clock, it wasn't very good. It didn't tell time. As a matter of fact, actually the sundial was probably even more accurate than a clock. But they began to build them, and they were usually put into public buildings and began to use them. And then somewhere in the 1400s, they became ornamental for uh, wealthy people, they would put clocks um, in their house and uh, use them for that. And then in the 15 and 1600s, people began to, to use them even a little bit more. And uh, the 1700s, people began to professionals began to use them and kind of get the clock. And before that, in the 14 and 1500s, and even and before that, people were using the uh, the bell. And they would tell, "Hey, this is when you get up. This is when you go to work. This is when you pray." This is when you do different things. And then somewhere in the 1800s, this thing called a pocket watch came along. Have you ever seen a pocket watch? Or A lot of times this is how the railroad knew that they were on time or they were late because they would pull out their little watch and they would know. And then lo and behold, in 1865, some guy in Switzerland created this thing and he put it around the wrist. And so now we have been enslaved to time since that beginning of the pocket watch and the wrist watch and as a matter of fact, in 1967, the Senate heard from experts on technology. In 1967, they said, hey, we're going to have a problem in the United States and around the world because of technology, because we're going to be so good, we're going to have so much good technology that we're going to have to make some difficult decisions, and that most people by the age of 38 will have to retire, because technology is going to be so, is going to change our life so drastically that by 1985, by the age of 38, most of us are going to retire. And so as I'm looking around here, most of you have this look on your face of like, what? That's definitely not true, right? And so technology, as a matter of fact, hasn't made us retire earlier. It is, I think it's caused us to cram more and more-er and more-er into our schedules. I know that's not good English, but we're cramming more into our schedules. And so now we have these things on our wrist that actually continually notify us of things that we're missing out on or the next thing that we need to go to because we have FOMO, the fear of missing out. We, we have this fear that if something might be happening, something might go on, and if it doesn't show up on our watch or on our calendar and we don't get to it, then we're going to miss out on it. So the hurrier I go, the behinder I get. You've heard that? And so what does that mean? It means usually when we get in such a hurry to do things, we mess up and make mistakes. And so we get to do it a second time or a third time. And you've probably been there. Sometimes even Sunday morning is that day where you're hurrying to get out of the house and you realize your kids don't have shoes on or they haven't brushed their teeth or they haven't eaten. And you're kind of going to and fro. And the hurrier you go, the behinder you get. It's also created a culture that skims over life that we don't really dig into and do the deep experiences of life because we're on to the next thing. And so we skim over so much. That's why we we skim over books. We read things fast. We we just kind of jump in and move to the next thing because we're afraid of missing out on something. We're drawn to hurry because it makes us feel important. We want to feel like we have value in the world, that we bring something. It keeps our adrenaline going. And it also means we don't have to stop and take a time out and look too closely at our own life 
in our own heart. We're a skimming culture. Psychologist Carl Jung says it this way, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. That we're constantly moving and pursuing and we miss out on so much of life because we're on to the next thing. One of my favorite authors and pastors is John Ortberg, and he says the following about our hurrying, skimming, busy lifestyle. In our busyness, the great danger is not that we'll renounce our faith, but that we'll settle for a mediocre version of it. In the busyness, the great danger isn't that we'll renounce our faith, but that we'll settle for a mediocre version of our faith. We won't dig deep. We won't do the hard work. We'll just skim over it and move to the next thing, the next event that our church provides, the next program that our church provides, and forget that one of the things that God tells us is to take a time out and to pause and to stop. Hurry is not just a disorganized, disproportionate calendar but a disorganized, disproportionate impact and affected heart. We're always connected and always on. Even in this place here, some of you are going to be getting notifications and emails and texts and tweets and Snapchats, and sometimes you're sitting right next to each other because we're always on and we're always connected and we don't have this inability in our hearts to set down our phones and to set down those things that we think Make us important and valuable. Our pace is out of control, and it's literally killing us. The doctors have come up with, have given us a new disease, and it's called hurry sickness. That we have something called hurry sickness. Cardiologists Friedman and Rosenman define hurry sickness as a continuous struggle to accomplish more things and participate in more events in less time. Sound like any of us? We're cramming. So you look at your calendar and you think, oh, I've got 30 minutes here. I've got an hour here. I can put one more thing. And you even look and it overlaps something else and you'll go, oh, I'll end this meeting or I'll do this or I'll drive faster or I'll make calls while I'm driving or I'll do my makeup or I'll read the paper while I'm driving or, or whatever. I've seen it all. And some of you are already tense because it's round top weekend and you're going to have to wait more than once through a red light. And so you're already mad about that because your pace is out of control. Whether it's real or imagined, we need to slow down. The opposition to the pace that we're in. When we're sick, we go to the doctor for a checkup. Most of the time, right? Sometimes we try to live it out. And I think this is one of those areas where a lot of us are sick and we don't go to the doctor. We don't stop. We don't pause. So this morning, we're going to take a break and we're going to pause and you're going to come to Dr. Chris's office and we're going to assess whether you're sick with hurry or not. All right? Are you ready? You got it? Okay. You got your little gown on? No. Okay. Here we go. You work and do life consistently at a breakneck speed. You're moving from one thing to the next, moving from one thing to the next. You multitask all the time. How many of you multitask all the time? Yeah, a lot of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen you doing your makeup. I've seen you doing different things. We multitask. As a matter of fact, researchers tell us that we cannot truly multitask, that we are fooling ourselves as we think we're doing it because our brain can only concentrate on one thing well at the next thing. And so that whole idea of that I can watch TV or have TV going and study, it's not really true. You focus, you push one thing out so you can focus on the next. How many of you have clutter in your life? Yeah, don't raise your hands. You don't have to tell us your sins here. All right. Clutter in your life actually is a sign of you've got just too much going on. It's, just, it's an outward symbol of some of the inside stuff. 
How many of you work consistently from home after hours or even at work after hours? Because there's always something else to do. There's always work to do. How many have had people say to you, I know you're busy, but... I know you're busy, but... That we have created this aura about ourselves that we're constantly busy. Because even today, someone maybe walked to you and said, hey, how are you doing? And your response is, busy or good. But a lot of times we say, hey, we're busy. How are you doing? I'm, I'm busy. Because that's a badge of honor to be busy. How many of you, your family complains about your time at office, work, or other things, and not being able to be at home? Think about this. If tomorrow freed up, what would you do? Some of you, you immediately think, well, I would go to work and I would get ahead. If tomorrow freed up, what would you do? Again, a disproportionate calendar scheduled heart. Does your body ache consistently? Are you consistently tired at the end of the day or end of the week? Yeah. Sometimes some of you are like, well, I'm old. (laughs) Part of it, maybe. But maybe we're cramming too much end of the day. What's your hobby? What do you do to recreate your mind, your heart, and your soul? One of the things that researchers tell us is that over 50% of men, by the time that they, after they retire, within a few years, they pass away because they don't have anything else to get up for. So what is your hobby? What do you do? Who are you besides the work that you do to recreate your life? Do you have time to pray? Do you have time for personal worship? If not, then you're too busy. If you don't have time, I mean, I think about how many times we get up and the first thing we do is to grab the phone and to push snooze or to look at Snapchat, to look at Facebook, to look at emails, to look at whatever, and immediately our heart jumps into, our mind jumps into the busyness of the next things to do instead of stopping and pushing snooze and saying, okay, now is my time to set aside that there should be a natural rhythm for us to have some private time and some personal worship time, just 5, 10, 15 minutes, just begin to get your heart and mind right. One of the things that we do at our house that's difficult to do, maybe the most difficult thing to do, is to consistently eat dinner together, eat a meal together as a family with no distractions. Now, sometimes that was McDonald's or Taco Bell in the car going from one event to the other, and we would just turn off the radio or the stereo so we could talk for a little bit because there is that busyness. But how do we find time together as a family to sit down and to talk and to really say, how is your day and how are you doing? And not just be like ships passing in the night and never truly know the people that are living in the house with you. Are we too busy to stop and to fellowship together? So if you answered yes or maybe or probably to some of this stuff, then maybe just this morning it's for you to just stop and rest And to take a time out. As we talked about over the last few weeks, God has created us for work, right? He's called us. He's assigned us. He's gifted us for our work. And our work provides us as a chance to to be missionaries and, and to reach out and to do the thing that God's called us to do. And to be ambassadors for him in our workplace and our school and all those places. But he's also called us to rest. 
Psalm 46.10 says it this way, Be still and know that I am God. Now again, as we've talked about consistently around here, this idea of no isn't an intellectual knowledge, but it's an experiential knowledge. So when Jesus says to us, when God says to us, be still and know that I am God, it means experience me. Stop, slow down, take a time out, be still and sit with me and to know me. So that's why I think a great image of that is the family dinner or sitting across from a friend having coffee and you're stopping your busy schedule and saying, you are more important, you are important enough that I'm going to stop my busyness and I want to know you. That's what this is. That's what this verse is saying. Is God good enough? Is he enough? Is Jesus enough worth it to stop and to have coffee with so that you can know him and he can know you? Be still and know that I'm God. Because here's what it is. We need rest. You need rest. God himself rested. He created for six days, and on the seventh day, he did what? He rested. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says it this way. So the heavens and earth and everything in them were completed, and on the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. For on it he rested from all of the work of creation. This idea of rested, we get the word Sabbath from, which is a day like today, a day of rest. And Sabbath means to cease, to desist, to stop, to pause, or to rest. We like to say at our house, time out. Sometimes we use time out for discipline. We put our kids in time out, and it feels good to put them in time out, sometimes to stop the chaos. But it's literally this for us is that sometimes we need a time out to stop the chaos as adults that we've created for ourselves of moving to and fro and feeling like that our worth and our value comes from doing all these different things. The badge of honor saying, how are you doing? I'm busy is not a badge of honor. Sabbath, the other thing I want you to know about Sabbath is it reminds us that God is the creator and the sustainer of all life. That we're not God. We didn't create it. We're not the sustainer that he is. In Exodus chapter 16, we, we see the story where the Hebrew people are being led out of Egypt and are finding a place of freedom. And in the midst of that, God provides for them. He sustains their life along the way, and he provides manna. And even in that, he gives them a rhythm of life that six days they will go collect food and prepare. But on the seventh day, they will even rest from that collecting and preparing food. In verse 21, it says, They gathered it every morning, the manna. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. And on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, four quarts apiece, and all the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. And he told them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you can bake, boil what you can boil, and set aside everything left over to be kept until morning. So they set it aside until morning as Moses commanded, and it didn't stink or have maggots in it, which that's, that's a good thing. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you won't find any in the field, and six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. 
So the first thing about rest is, well, God did it, but then also he gave it to us because he wants to remind us of he's the creator and sustainer of life. The next thing that he wants us to, to be reminded of as Sabbath is that Sabbath reminds us that we are free and that we've been liberated. He, he brought the Hebrew people out of slavery and so they could find freedom. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12 and 15, we, we see this explanation. And he says this, be careful to remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy as the Lord God has commanded you. You're to labor six days and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work. Let's say that together. Do not do any work. Who? You, your son, your daughter, your male or female slave, your ox or your donkey, any of your livestock or the resident alien who lives within your city gates so that the female and male slaves may rest as you do. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. So see, when you're a slave, how many days off do you get? None. So God's saying, listen, remember that you are now free and you have the opportunity to rest because you're no longer a slave. I've brought you out. You have liberation. You have freedom. And so those that work for you and are around you, you give them time off as well to remember that once... You were had to work seven days. Remember, you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So you have liberation and freedom. And then finally, Sabbath is for everyone. So he tells us in another passage in Exodus chapter 20, when he's laying out the Ten Commandments, and he says, talks about the Sabbath, he basically says, uh, Sabbath is for Jew, for Gentile. It is for everyone to rest and to stop, to cease, desist, and just take a time out. If you look at Jesus' life and we compare our pace of life to his life, you can see that we've got a, something flipped upside down because Jesus was a busy guy. He had three and a half years to do his ministry, and he was moving and going. He had a lot to do in 30 years of preparation for that three and a half years. And so the pace of life you would think would be frantic. But Jesus' rhythm of life was one of three things. One, he had a private inner life where he would consistently pull away from the crowds. He would consistently even pull away from his disciples and say, hey, look, I've got to take a time out. I've got to go spend time with the Father. I've got to be still and, and be with him and experience relationship and fellowship with the Father. I need that. That is paramount. That's tantamount for me being Jesus and doing the things that I'm doing and knowing that I'm following the Father's will. And then he also spent time with his close friends. He had his three, his 12, and others. And then also he had a public life. And the rhythm of life for us, the franticness. You see, hurry isn't from God. It's the world's pace. This thing that we can move from place to place to place and not stop and quit skimming over things and to dig deep into life. That the relationships, the people that we cherish the most are the ones that we've done life with on deep levels. We haven't skimmed over. We haven't done life at 30,000 feet. We've done it in the trenches. But the only way to do that is to stop and to do life with them, to rest with them, to sup with them. God's pace is a natural rhythm. As a matter of fact, Jesus even tells them, people were asking him, why do you eat? Why do you heal on the Sabbath day? And Jesus says to them in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, 
not man for the Sabbath. In other words, God created Sabbath for us as man to stop and to rest. And that if anything that's good to happen, then we should be doing good things. So Jesus healed, Jesus fed people, Jesus did those things. It recreated for him. It was an act of worship for him. So if we're going to be doing anything, then it should be helping others and serving others and loving our neighbor, not working at our regular deals. So how can we rest in a world of notifications? How can we rest in a world where we have the fear of missing out and we're constantly going from one thing to the next? It's to find that daily, weekly, monthly, or even quarterly rhythm. To set time. Whenever I ask the question, do you have time to pray? Do you have time for yourself? If you don't have that time, then you have to begin to set aside some time and say, listen, this is an important thing. I need 5, 10, 15 minutes to recalibrate, to reset, to restart my heart and mind and my soul. For today, I need this time. If Jesus needed it, surely I need it. To find the time to rest and to put our hearts before God. This is one of the things that, that I constantly struggle with and have thought through. And, and I always thought as a pastor that, hey, everyone else comes before me, right? That's one of the things that you're taught is that everyone else is more important than you. And so at some point over the last few years, I've realized, hey, for everyone else to be cared for, I have to take care of myself. And so I've flipped this and understood it and have gotten a more biblical understanding of, listen, my priorities, my core values, my relationships and all that stuff, one of the important relationships in my life is my relationship to myself. And so relationship number one is my relationship with God the Father. My second relationship is my relationship to myself and the time that I need is private time, workout time, whatever, so that I can have a clear heart of ready heart to be able to care for my wife, to be able to care for my kids, to be able to care for others. Because if I'm not well and I'm not rested, then I can't take care of others. And the same is true for you. Moms and dads, grandma and grandpa, we're going to and fro and we don't take the time for ourselves. And so we're frazzled and we kids are driving us crazy and all that. And it's time for us maybe just to take a rest. Maybe close the door on your bedroom and say, kids, figure it out. For a little bit. You've got 15 minutes. Mom and dad are going to talk to each other for a little bit. And you're over there and we got some frozen pizzas. Eat them frozen. I don't care. We're going to rest. We need time for ourselves. God, me, family, work. What do you do normally? You need to stop and to rest. So that's one of the things, the beauties of Sunday. So if this is a part of the regular rhythm of your life, then you're stopping for a moment And you're just worshiping. You're here saying, I'm not God. He is, and I'm giving him worth, and I'm giving him value. And I'm sitting, and I'm eating at the table with God. You're giving worship to him. This is a part of rest. Now, for some of you, I know that it's a difficult thing, because as soon as this music was over and the preacher gets up preaching, you got that little wonderful list, and you're not taking sermon notes. You're taking grocery notes. You're taking, this is the things I've got to do notes. Rest. Relax. There's apps for that. Okay? God's idea of life's purpose is not about working or doing. It's about becoming. The ultimate question of life isn't what do you do. It's instead, who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? And if we do not take the time to stop, to pause, to desist and cease 
and take a time out, then we're skimming over and moving from one thing to the next, and we're about what we're doing and not who we're becoming. Because it's in those moments where we stop and we be, we're still before God and we allow him to talk and allow ourselves to just reflect back and forth. It's in those moments that we realize that there's some things in our life that aren't necessary. There's some baggage that we're carrying. There's some different things that God said, listen, you don't have to carry that. You don't need that. Get rid of that stuff. And we will never have the opportunity to even reflect upon that if we don't stop and just cease. When's the last time you haven't had any noise in your life? Maybe right now. I mean, with the craziness, the amount of messages, the amount of voices, the amount of stuff that's talking to us, and just to stop for a moment and just listen and to hear who are you becoming? Hebrew world, whenever they start Sabbath, it begins on Friday evening at sundown, and it ends on Saturday evening at sundown. And one of the things that they do as Sabbath begins is they take two candles, and they take those two candles, and they set them up, and they light both of them. And it's symbolic of the fact that from the last Sabbath to this Sabbath, that they, as they have done life and done the tasks of the week and gone to and fro, and then the hurriness of life It's symbolic of the fact that they have most likely moved further and further and further away from God the Father. And so that as they start off the Sabbath weekend, they light the two of those to say, listen, we recognize the fact that we have been going to and fro, and now we are stopping and ceasing. And that our goal is, is at the end of the weekend that we have recreated, we have worshipped as a family, we have supped together, we have played games together, we have stopped and enjoyed the presence of God and enjoyed the presence of family, those that matter most. We've lingered at the Sabbath meal together because we have nowhere else to go but here. We've blocked off this time in our schedule and that the fear of missing out on Sabbath time is just as important as the fear of missing out on whatever, whatever else time that we have that brings worth and value to life. And so they stop on Friday evening and light these two candles. What they do at the end of the Sabbath as it ends, they have a candle that's interwoven together. Symbolic of the fact that over this time of Sabbath that they have drawn closer to or should have drawn closer to God the Father. And as they go out to their assignment, as they go out to the places that God has called them, as they go out to the place that they are an ambassador for Jesus Christ, that they are now interwoven together and that they now have connected back to God as they go out. It's a reminder of the fact that they go as an ambassador of his. But all because of the fact that they've stopped and worshipped, and recreated, and their hearts and their minds and their souls have been drawn back to the thing that's the most important. It's drawn back to the fact of whose they are and what life is about, that the foundation of life is found in the person of Jesus Christ through God the Father. Who are you becoming? It's in these moments where we stop and we rest and we reconnect, we reestablish so that we can represent and reenter into the workplace in the week. That you can look forward to Mondays because you've Sabbathed on the weekend. 
that you realize that it's not just you going into work, but that you with God the Father through Jesus Christ are entering into the workplace and the assignment is wherever he's called you, but he is there with you and you have a calling and a mission because you've rested and you've reconnected with your creator and you realize that he creates life and sustains it. And then in those moments of rest, you realize, I'm not God, and he is. And in those moments of rest, you realize that someone else is going to step into your job, and they're going to do it, and that the clock is going to keep ticking, that your place of employment is going to keep going. The most unique job you have is a husband or wife as a parent. Or grandparent. No one else can be a spouse. No one else can be a husband to my Becky. I have that unique calling. No one else can be a father to Lauren and Landon. That's my unique calling. And so if we're so busy about doing all these other things and we don't stop and rest and remember that our unique calling is not this other stuff that we do, but it's the calling to be a husband and a father and a friend to those that God has placed in our life, that we're missing the purpose of life. So you're made for Mondays, but you have a unique calling, not just in your job, but in your family. And don't miss that. Sabbath well. Rest. And it's in that resting that we realize that God has so much for us. Just stop and be still and know that he is God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for work. Thank you for the things that you've created us for. Father, thank you also for rest. May we focus on who we're becoming in you more than in what we do. So, Father, maybe the question for us to ask one another is not, what do you do, but who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? Thank you for this morning, this time to worship you and to take a time out, to cease, to cease, to rest, to pause, and focus on you. It's in your son's name that we pray. 